What's up, Subaniacs? Thanks for joining me on the Ugly Duck podcast. Excited to be here with you guys today to launch this podcast. And this is me totally unfiltered. We're going to be talking everything hockey and beyond. And today... We have a very special guest. Yes, he's a special guest. He's also the commissioner of the NHL. And he will be coming on and joining us in just a bit. But first, hockey is back. And we're all better for it. So let's talk some hockey. I'm back again here today with Mo Darwich, my producer, who's jumping in. And we're talking hockey. Nothing crazy happened over the past no. couple of days, did it? No, not too crazy. Nothing going on in the NHL. Just some big <laughs> hits, some fights, some great wins, some last minute uh, shots on goal to win the game. You know, just little things like that. But let's jump right into it with the entire some quotes league. too, Mo. Some big quotes. Some, some heavy hitter quotes. Some filthy, disgusting <laughs> quotes. So yeah. let's just jump into it quickly. What everyone is talking about mm -hmm. around the league, the Kachuk hit on Shifley. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, listen. First, let's let's get into what Paul Maurice said. Um, because I want to talk about what's going on. To some NHL fans, they read the quotes, and you got to understand what's going on here. This is the playoffs. Regardless of what happens on the ice, nobody wants to see anything bad happen to any player. Nobody wants to see anybody get injured. People are competing on the ice. Coaches are competing for momentum, for leverage, whatever it is. So just take that into consideration when you're reading your quotes post-game. Take that into consideration. But I watched it. The first thing I'm going to say is this. Let's talk about both players. Obviously, Mark Shifley is an extremely important player to the Winnipeg Jets, right? I've, I've had tons of battles against this guy in the playoffs, regular season in the Central Division. Um... You know, the year that we won the President's Trophy, they beat us in seven games. You know, he was a big part of that. So, you know, we all understand the importance of Mark Shifley to the Winnipeg Jets. That's a part of the frustration here, right? Is they don't know. I mean, he's questionable for game two. It says here, sources say Shifley's injury is not long-term, but is doubtful for game two. So we don't know if he's going to be back or not. I, I think a lot of this is going to be put to bed depending on how long he's out. But let's be honest here. Let's talk about the playoffs and hockey in general and, and competing. You go on the ice for the playoffs, you are fighting for your life. Not every game, every second of every shift, you're playing like it's your last. You have to be on the edge. And when you're on that edge, things are going to happen. And I'm going to be the first to say that I do not believe that, that Kachuk tried to cut the back of his leg. I think Kachuk went in there aggressive trying to finish his check, trying to set the tone, and things happen. Now, no one can point the finger and say that he did this and did that. You're not in the kid's head, so you got to respect it. You know, right after Shifley's being carried off, he goes over and he taps him on the, on the pads. You know, this is a young kid in the NHL who's had a great career so far. Obviously, a lot of guys hate to play against him, but you got to give respect to where the player is. And you got to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I, I don't think the intention was there, but it is unfortunate, you know, to see that. And you don't want to see that in, in a series that these are two important players to their team. So you don't want to see that. But if I rewind and put myself in Mr. Kachuk's shoes for a second, I go back to the 0809 playoffs. I believe it was 0809. So for our fans listening, I know I don't want to see it in the comments after you were wrong about the year. That's like, I get it. It was my first playoffs. I get called up uh, to play with the Habs. And we're playing against Pittsburgh. And I'm at the blue line. And I make a move. And I step on Jordan Stahl's foot. And I believe I cut his tendon. I can't remember if he played the rest of the series or not. But he definitely wasn't 100% if he did. And I remember the following year, it almost happened again. And I'm just thinking about what's in my head. There's no way I'm going out thinking about trying to step on guys, trying to cut somebody's tendon. Like, that's just sick. But things happen on the ice. And when you're, comp when you're competing, and, you know, Jordan Stahl, I, I can tell you this, he probably wasn't happy with me. He's probably still not happy with me. But it wasn't intentional. And you go out and you try to play the game hard. You're trying to do your job to the best of your ability. It's an intense atmosphere. Guys have been sitting on their hands for five months waiting for this. Things are going to happen. There's going to be a knock on wood. You hope nobody else gets injured. But these things are going to happen. So it's unfortunate. 
But man, the quotes are heavy hitting. I mean, Paul Maurice. I, I, yeah, wanna- Paul Maurice came out. He says it was intentional. Calls it a filthy, disgusting hit. He says it was filthy, dirty kick to the back of Shifley's leg. Kachuk went after the back of Shifley's leg. He could have cut his Achilles tendon. He could have ended a man's career. It was an absolutely filthy, disgusting hit. Well, I, listen, I got a lot of respect for Paul Maurice. Uh, played against him a lot. Respect him as a coach. I know a lot of guys who play for him love him as a coach. So, you know, I think that this is all a part of playoffs. This is, there's a lot of things happening here. And, you know, the series isn't over. There's a lot of hockey left to be played. The focus, once that puck drops in game two, the focus is going to be back on. I can tell you this right now. The Winnipeg Jets internally are saying we have to be a better team in game two. So, you know, whether whether Scheif is in the lineup or not, we got to be ready to play. And I think they will be. This is an experienced team. Game two, everybody's going to be watching that game. There's no question. Um, you know, but I also want to talk about Blake Wheeler, captain of Winnipeg, a guy who I've had a ton of battles against, who I respect tremendously, works really, really hard, always a tough guy to play against, stepping up for Scheif and 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 getting in a scrap there and, and just, you know, showing respect that he's going to stand up for his teammate. Um, I really like that. I value that a lot. And we've been seeing that a lot in the playoffs. As we get through some more of the games, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. There's one other uh, moment that I want to talk about in my career that I can compare to this as well, was playing in Montreal. We're playing against Ottawa and Mark Stone. And I remember I'm standing in front of the net. Uh, we had a great start to the game. I think we were up 2 nothing, And we're on the uh, penalty kill. And I had turned and I'd slashed him on the wrist. And... You know, it's important to explain to fans when these things happen in the game, because we're going to see it more as the playoffs go on. You know, it's all about setting the tone. You're in a battle. You're in a seven-game series. You're in a five-game series. There's not, there's not a lot of opportunities to set the tone, and you want to set that tone. You want to walk that line, and sometimes you go over it. I remember when I slashed him, I wasn't trying to, to break his wrist. I, I was trying to send him, a to- set up, send him a message that if you're going to stand in front of the net, we have the best goaltender in the world with Carey Price. I got to make sure as a defenseman that no one feels comfortable standing in front of the net. Now, you got to toe that line on what's appropriate and what's not. I ended up getting kicked out of the game, and fortunately, we ended up winning. But I remember getting off the ice. I, I, didn't, I felt horrible about it because I put my team at a disadvantage. So, you know, people have to understand that, too. For, for Kachuk to be going in there and thinking about trying to cut a guy's tendon or cut a guy's leg, he knows how important he is to the team. I mean, that's much different than hitting a guy from behind or cross-checking a guy or or two-handing a guy. I mean, to cut somebody's tendon, I, I just don't, I don't see that. I don't see that as, as something he's trying to do on purpose. Now, obviously, we're going to have two parties on each side of the argument, yeah. right? How does this play out in the bubble? Because mm. this is the first time we have all the players together in one place at the same time, right? No one's in their cities. No one's then going to some other city. Everyone is together. Everyone has to see each other from other teams. Do you think that there will be any sort of backlash or chirping that happens off the ice? Well, first of all, before we even get into that, we want to make sure that, you know, and our fingers are crossed for Mark Shifley. We just hope that it's not long-term. We hope that this is something that he gets stitched up, you know, and he can end up getting back on the ice. And if he's not able to get back on the ice, we hope that this is something that long-term doesn't affect him. That's number one. Uh, and I think everybody feels that way. Right. You know, I mean, I haven't seen anything in hockey in a long time where somebody deliberately tried to injure someone that way. That's, you know, so, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, but as far as in the bubble, listen, this is the playoffs. Whether something like that happens or not, I know for me, you know, if I see somebody on the other team, um, you know, I'm not mingling that way. You know, I'm in my zone. It's a war. It's a battle, especially the way I play. I don't care if we're friends or not. When we get on the ice, it's on, you know. So um, I don't think this really changes that. I think both teams are going to have that temperament, and all the teams should. Before we get into the games itself, Mm -hmm. let's jump into the presentation of the games as a whole, right? Yeah. How do we look at this first weekend of hockey? Uh, Was this a huge success? Let's talk about that. First of all, I watched every game. Um, and the games that I didn't get to watch live, I taped them and watched them. And, and this is something that I don't think a lot of, you know, fans know about me is that I love to watch the game of hockey. You know, obviously I like to do a lot of other things, but I enjoy watching the game. And I can tell you this right now, it was very difficult for me to watch because of how good the hockey was. You wanted to be a part of it and to watch guys, you know, competing the way they were, it's playoff hockey. Like it was, that was 
that was playoff hockey that we watched. That wasn't another version of it. That's that's what you see on TV during, you know, when there's not a pandemic going on. So um, it was it's it's been great watching those games. Um, the games have been close. There've been some upsets. It's been exciting. Like, I don't think the NHL could ask for anything more from what they've gotten. And obviously there's been pregame presentations and all these things that bring it together. But, you know, for me personally, my focus was what is the hockey going to look like? And I think that they've, they've hit it out of the park, whatever they did, as far as training camp goes, players have respected the game and kept themselves ready to play. Cause the pace has been high. We talked about it, that New York. Uh, that Rangers Carolina game was in, the pace was insane. It was the first insane. Time. Let's I jump mean, into that right. Uh, first game right out the gate, number eleven Rangers versus the six Hurricanes. Uh, big hits that first quarter. You had hits, you had scores, you had a. Fight. What about Justin Williams? Yes. Uh, well, I talked about Mister Game Seven. I talked about him uh, when we when we were talking about hockey getting back on the ice. I spoke about this series, and I said for a guy like Justin Williams, you know. He showed that he's right in his element again. And that sends a message to their team. You know, it's, it's important to also forget about this or talk about this. You know, Furland, who played for Carolina, who's now in Vancouver. And we saw in the Vancouver game the fight that he had with Felino and the presence that he brings. You know, he moved on from Carolina. I didn't see who was going to bring that presence. So to see Justin Williams step up and do something that he doesn't have to do. This is a guy who's proven that he can play, but it's not about what you have to do and what you should do. He's doing it because that's what it takes to win. And he knows his team. And in that locker room, he wants to make sure that those guys understand it doesn't matter who's on the other side. We got each other's backs and we're going to be here. And I think that showed throughout the rest of the game. I said that that team was going to be tough to play against. They play with a high pace and they did. Their young players showed up. We saw uh, Svechnikov and Aho connect on the power play. Uh, we saw these guys buzzing the whole game up and down the ice. I think they're going to be a tough team. The one thing we didn't talk a lot about was their defense. And we saw Slavin getting up and down the, the ice. They're, they play with pace and they play with a lot of confidence. You know, they play with a ton of confidence and it's just tough. I think New York pushed it towards the end. I didn't spend a lot of time talking about Mika Zabinajad, and I don't know how I didn't do that, but I'm watching the game and I'm saying, this guy can be a difference maker for this team. Obviously, we know about Panarin and what he does. He's going to do his thing, but I think Mika Zabinajad and the way he's playing with his big body, he's so strong. He comes through the, the neutral zone with so much speed and skill. He's very, very tough to contain. It's going to be tough for anybody to contain uh, him and Panarin, but if those guys can elevate their game to even another level, and I think they, we saw that towards the end of the game, they were getting comfortable again. They were getting comfortable. So I'm interested to see how New York comes out in game two, um, but that's going to be an up and down series. I think it's going to be a lot of goals in that series. Lundquist with the last minute start, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that they're going to be keeping him in goal? Listen to me. I, I I got no problem with that at all. I think that their goaltending situation isn't a question. I think they can go with whoever they want to. And if when they go with Henrik Lundqvist, you know what you're getting. You're getting experience. You're getting a guy who's been doing this for a long time. So, you know, I, I don't think that the worry is going to be in net for them. I think it's going to be collectively as a team. And the biggest area in this series, I think, is going to be special teams. New York has been great on the power play all year. They have to be good on the power play in this series, for sure. All right, let's jump into another big game here. Uh, number five, Edmonton Oilers versus the number 12 Blackhawks. Uh, what are your thoughts on that game and how that played out? Oh, I loved it. And I got to, you know what? I'm going to start right at the top. Um, we talked about veteran players in this series. Uh, we talked about the top players in this series for sure. But, I mean... How can you not talk about Jonathan Tabes first? A lot of question marks a few years ago about Jonathan Tabes, and I didn't think rightfully so. I think their team went through a rebuilding uh, you know, process a little bit, and they've now surrounded Kane and Tabes with some young players, Kirby Doc and DeBrinkett, and these guys that can come in and play. And I've seen them steadily over the past you know, two or three years get better, get better, get better. Now they're a team that's competing again, and I think you can see that confidence coming out of Kane, especially Tabes, that we have a team now that can compete. And let's not forget that Seabrook hasn't played. Like, think about, you know, him getting back and adding that experience. But Duncan Keith just looks like he doesn't age. 
you know, Crawford looks great. I know they got my brother Malcolm Subban, who's definitely one of the best-looking players in the league, who can step in at any moment and play, who's waiting for his opportunity. So they're good in goal in, in net. The defense has played well. Um, you know, I like the Chicago Blackhawks. What I liked about Chicago, Brandon Saad, how they get in on the forecheck. They don't look like they've miss, missed a step. They look like they're all in shape. They're all ready to skate. And the NHL now is a skating game. As long as you skate and you compete, you're going to have a chance. And I think Chicago now, as they're looking at it, we're sick and tired of being that team that barely gets into the playoffs, that makes it to the first round, loses out. We want to be a team that's going to contend again and show that we have the pieces to do that. And I think they showed up and, and, and showed that in the first game. But make no mistake about it. Okay, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and these guys, we, we didn't see anything close to their best, and they started to buzz. They put four goals on the board. These guys can score. So they're going to hold Chicago's defense uh, accountable. I don't think they were fully tested in game one. Look for them to be tested a little bit more in game two. And McDavid, you could just see, he didn't get as much space in game one. All he needs, you know he doesn't need a lot of space. I think there's going to be more space for him in game two. And you know what happens when he gets space. He exposes a lot of dudes. Let's touch on the benching of the goalie Smith by the Oilers. What does that do to a team psyche in a game one? Uh, well, listen, first of all, Mike Smith's a veteran goaltender. He's going to be fine. So, you know, he might even see the net again. We don't know that. I, I just think that Edmonton didn't have the start that they wanted to. I think they were a little bit dead as a team. I don't think you can point the finger at one player or not. That's my assessment. I think they have to be better as a team coming out. And like I said, not everybody's going to come out the same way. It's not always about how you start either. So, you know, make no doubt about it. There's a lot of hockey left to be played. They have to come out with a better start. They know that. But seeing guys like James Neal get a little touch, uh, you know, getting on the stat sheet, I said that he was going to be an important player for them. These guys are all going to elevate their game. And none of these guys really played bad in the first game. They just had a slow start. So I think they're going to be better in game two. Let's jump into the first OT game of the postseason. Uh, the Canadians defeat the Penguins 3-2. Mm. Thoughts there? A great game. Well, I said it. I said it before, and I'm I'm not saying that I'm always right. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying I definitely was right here. And I talked about one player for the Canadians, and that was Carey Price, and he was the first star in game one. And I'm going to tell you, if I'm the Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm a little bit nervous about that because when Carey Price is confident and he's playing that way where he's sound and he ain't moving a lot and he's making those saves – uh, it, you don't see a whole lot of net. So, and you look at the goal that Crosby scored off of a skate. Listen, let's step aside from Carey Price for a second. And I remember I go back to the last two times I played in Montreal. And when I did my post-game interview, I spoke specifically about the young players that they have on that team and that they're learning and they're getting better and they're progressing. You look at Suzuki, kid's a player. He can play. You can see the confidence coming out. So Pittsburgh's just got to be aware of that, that these young kids are getting more and more confidence as every shift goes on. And they got young legs. I think Pittsburgh's going to come out and be the difference maker in game two. I think they're going to set the tone. I don't see them going down to nothing. I really don't. But it wouldn't surprise me if Montre if they don't come out ready to play Montreal's young players are going to get more and more confidence. And we know they have veteran players on that team, the Shea Webbers with the big shot that are going to calm them down and, and continue to nourish those guys as they go along. But you can't look past their young players. They got some talented players on that team that can put the puck in the net if you give them time and space. A guy like Max Domi can be a difference maker. Dale Weiss on that line with Max Domi gets in physical. Veteran player in the playoffs. Played well for Montreal when I was there. Uh, defenseman Jeff Petrie stepping up. He's gaining confidence. He had a great season. So you, you, you just, they're gaining confidence as a team. And I think confidence is going to be key for Montreal in this series. Um, you know, the more confidence they get, I think it's going to be tougher for Pittsburgh to get into a rhythm. But I look for Pittsburgh to elevate their game in game two. And that'll probably be one of their best games of the series, in my opinion. Quick thoughts. Give me a one liner on the Islanders beating the Panthers 2 one. I just think that this is going to be a battle, that series. You, you, you look at the Islanders, they have the ability to score. They got great defense. 
which helps out, uh, you know, with their good goaltending. Their goaltending solid, but when you have defense like that in front of you, it makes it extra tough. They've been a good defensive team all season. So Barry Trotz is going to make sure that they're playing solid defensively. I think that Bobrovsky, and it looks like it's been a playoff of goaltenders because we're seeing goaltenders steal games and 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 playing an important role. And it always is important in the playoffs, but specifically now with all the uncertainty of how our teams are going to play, goaltending becomes so much more important. And when I look at Bobrovsky in net, he played extremely well for Florida. He's going to give him an opportunity. If he continues to play that way, the Florida Panthers uh, can definitely do some damage. And they have the experience there. Ekblad coming back playing. You know, they have uh, Keith Yandel on the back end experience. Uh, up front, Huberto, Barkov, all these guys. So they have a good balance on a team here, but I think that if the Islanders play their game, it's going to be tough. I think it's just going to be hand-to-hand combat. I think it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. So if you're interested in watching hockey like that, watch it. <laughs> uh, speaking of lights-out goaltending, you have Corpusalo shuts out the Toronto Maple Leafs. Columbus Blue Jackets win that game 2-0 in his first uh, NHL postseason start. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I watched this whole game. First of all, I want to give Toronto credit. They played a very defensive game as far as I'm concerned. I thought they played one of their best defensive games that I've seen of the season. As far as the offense goes, listen, it's going to come. They didn't get as many bounces. I know that, um, you know, Austin Matthews, you saw him look up to the rafters. He hits the crossbar. He's They're getting good looks. It's just not going in. Sometimes you have to understand when you face a hot goalie, it's just the way it is. So the key in this series for the Toronto Maple Leafs is to not get discouraged, in my opinion. You know that we saw that Columbus is kind of trapping through the neutral zone. They're going to clog up the neutral zone. They're going to try to frustrate you. Just don't get frustrated. Just stick to the plan, continue to play. There's going to be bounces. There's going to be mistakes. And that's the thing with Columbus. Columbus has got to stay out of the box, not give them extra opportunities on the power play. Because if you do give them and they bury them, Toronto gets confidence. They're not second guessing. And if Toronto gets into that flow, they get Tavares, Marner, and Matthews going, Nylander, look out. Because these guys can score like that. So I, I think it's, this is going to be a series that's going to be mental more than anything else. I thought Toronto handled their forecheck decently well. They have to continue to move pucks out of their zone, not let guys like Felino wear them down, down low and cycle the puck. They do that very, very well. So, and with Columbus, if they keep getting goaltending like this, they got nothing to worry about. They got to keep playing that way. It's going to be an interesting series. I'm going to watch that series very closely because I like watching Toronto. I like their team and the way they play. They're a young team that's looking to get over the so I'll be watching that series closely. Sounds good. All right, Vancouver go down to the number 10 Minnesota Wild. They get shut out 3-0. What are your thoughts there? Oh, what a, what a, what a game. Yeah. What a game that was. Um, Staylock was solid. He was very solid. And a guy that doesn't probably get all the credit that he should, uh, but he was confident. He played very well. I thought that uh, Dumba and Suter, they played great in front of them. Um, you know, the one thing coming into this series, Minnesota's always been a very good defensive team with Parise hardworking. But let's talk about other than Staylock, and we know that he was solid in that game. He played, you know, he, he's probably the main reason of why they won with the saves that he made. But I want to talk about a specific player for Minnesota. And I spoke about it briefly before um, hockey started. And I said, Kevin Fiala. And I could speak on Kevin Fiala because I played with him when he first got into the NHL. And I can tell you this, this guy's a superstar in the NHL. He's going to be a superstar in the NHL. I watched him play the speed, the skill, like not a lot of guys in the league can do things with that pace at that speed. Like, think about it. He's been off for four or five months. He hasn't played that many. He hasn't played any games. And he's walking into a game doing the things that he's doing. Um, listen, he's their best player right now as far as I'm concerned up front. And listen to me, that, that's that's not putting the other guys down. I mean, he's playing with some great players in Parise and Stahl and all these guys. So, but Kevin Fiala has definitely been a difference maker for that team. He's got to continue to play that way. He liked my post on my Instagram story uh, yesterday. He, he sent me a quick message. I'd sent him a message to continue to keep it up. I think he's a phenomenal player. He's a good kid. 
Um, but I love to see guys continue to work at their game and get better like that. And he's in, he's improved a lot. He deserves all the credit coming his way. He's got to continue to do that. He's a top player. Alex Galchenyuk, another player. I thought he played very, very well. Attacked, got some shots on net and create. So they have some young players that are stepping up. That's the story of the playoffs. You need to have some young players that elevate their game and they need to, and you need to have veteran players to insulate them, to support them and help them through it. And you're seeing that now in the NHL. Um, you know, it's a very young league now. So we're used to seeing players like Kevin Fiala, but that kid's going to be a superstar in the league. Colorado Avalanche steal one against the St. Louis Blues with zero seconds. Did they though? Yeah, zero seconds left. But did they steal it? Well, Bennington played lights out, right? And it's got to be so frustrating okay. that at the very end with zero seconds, like you play a lights out game and you lose that way. Listen to me, 16-4 was the shots in the first. So... Craig Berube is very smart. <laughs> He's not given an inch. And why would you? Because this could be a team that you're looking at playing in the conference final. Um, but I watched that game, and I've played a lot against St. Louis, played a lot against Colorado. You know, I said that St. Louis was going to be my pick to win the Stanley Cup this year um, just because I believe with their team and the balance of their team, their experience, the fact that they're rested. St. Louis didn't play their best game. And it went right down to the wire. But you got to look at Colorado. Let's let's put St. Louis aside for a second. And let's talk about the Colorado Avalanche. First of all, Joe Sackick's done an amazing job putting the team together. Because you look at this team. This team's a different team than it was even last year or the year before. They've made huge strides. And they look like a team. It's not just Nathan McKinnon and Rantanen that are playing. This is a, this is a very, very good hockey club from top to bottom goaltender out Grubauer I played with in junior in the OHL I know him very very consistent showed consistency throughout the whole game played very very well he's confident he's got experience obviously playing in Washington being a part of that group bringing that experience to Colorado I think the way they put this team together is 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 substantially substantially very very smart and when I look at McKinnon he's just galloping through the neutral zone like the tempo that he plays at it's just, it's so hard to defend. So, you know, to see that in a series, they're going to be very, very tough to beat. I'm sorry, but, you know, I want to see St. Louis and Colorado go to, go at it in a series. That would be some series to watch. But even with the goal at the end, the go-ahead goal, forget the goal for a second. Just watch the sequence before the goal, the puck movement, the through the seam, the back shot, the retrieval, the compete level, the screen in front, the rebound, back to the top. Like, that's a power play. And to see their power play moving it around like that this early, I don't know, man. They they, they look like a well-oiled machine. I think they deserve that win. They earned that win. Like I said, the shots were 16-4 in the first period. I didn't see them steal anything. I think they earned that. And you heard David Perron say that they're, they were the better team, and they were. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be the better team in the conference final, in the first round, second round. You know, this is this is very, very important. I think both of these teams are going to be fine. But what a fun game to watch. That was It was an awesome game to watch. Number 11, Arizona Coyotes uh, beat the Nashville Predators 3-4. Yeah. Kind of a, a clunky game for the Predators to start, but they came on strong at the end. It just wasn't enough. What are your thoughts there? Uh, Pecorine, uh not getting the start over Saros. Uh, the the weird goal at the very beginning in that first quarter, at the first period. What are your thoughts there? Well, Pecorine is one of the best teammates I've ever had. So, you know, he's a veteran guy. He's a leader. There's a reason why he's been with Nashville so long and why they love. I can tell you this. Everybody in that organization loves Pekka as a player and as a person. So do I. So, you know, he's going to be a consummate professional and they're not. Listen, their goaltending situation. They got himself. They got Saros. They're reliable guys. It's not about that. I think the key for Nashville is just to play to play their game. Just relax. You've been here before. They're, in my opinion, they're a better team than Arizona. You know, I think the better team is going to show as the series goes on. But they just got to play their game and relax a little bit. Forsberg and these guys are going to be difference makers. You know Yossi's going to do his thing. He's up for the, the Norris Trophy. They just got to relax and play their game. You know, they, they, they're too good of a team. 
you know, and I think, I don't think anybody has to start looking at their game or look, and I don't think they're going to do that. I think they just got to come ready to, to play a better game in game two. And hopefully the results show, you know, but you just have to be aware of the key guys on Arizona because they're good. That Grabner on the penalty kill is lethal. You got to know where he is on the ice. That guy scored shorthanded goals against me. And, you know, he's so fast. I don't care how fast you are. You ain't catching him. So you got to be aware of guys like that. You got to be aware of Kessel and, and, you know, and these guys, Clayton Keller, these guys, they're good players. Taylor Hall had a great game, I thought. He was flying up and down the ice. Obviously, this is a big playoffs for him. I expect him to compete hard and play. The first game was a good sign for him. He's got to continue to keep it going. But in net, let's talk about it. Goaltending, you know, if Arizona continues to get goaltending like that, it's going to be tough for Nashville, you know, whether you know, whether they play well or not. I think if, if they get, if Arizona continues to get goaltending like that, it's going to be a tough series for Nashville. So I think Nashville just has to focus on their team and, and playing a better team game. They'll be fine. Let's wrap up with some of the other uh, round robin games. Boston goes down to the Flyers. Flyers look really good. Boston just looked like they were tuning up. What are your thoughts there? Well, you know what? I got to, now I got to take a step back because I talked about the round robin and I mentioned the seven teams that I talked about that are veteran teams, stacked teams, a good mix of young and old. And then I left Philly off that list, but uh, Philly's for real. That's a for real team. And I can tell you this, that goaltender, he's for real too. So, I mean... For anybody to look at Philly and say, oh, I'm not. No, no, no. Philly's got a chance. Philly's going to do some damage in the playoffs. Both teams are going to be fine. I think Boston, obviously, there's a little sense of urgency for them to get going, and they will get going. Like I said, Bergeron and Chara, as long as you got those two veteran guys on your team, you know, I, when, the, when the time is ready for your team to elevate, they're going to get everybody to elevate. They still got a couple tune-up games before they go. I don't think there's really a huge advantage with the seeding stuff. So put that aside. Boston's going to be ready. Philly's going to be ready. I mean, Philly's D stepping up and playing with that confidence and passion. It's just amazing to see these young players playing with that confidence. And, you know, you have to look at the coaching staff for that and allowing these guys to play their game, giving them structure and confidence. But Philly's for real. And as long as that Carter Hart keeps, keeps kicking the way he's kicking right now, uh, anything can happen. All right, I'm going to wrap up our segment every time with asking you this one question. Mm -hmm. At the end of uh, every week, I want to ask you this question. Do you see your final pick changing? Is it still St. Louis taking it all? Listen, I still got St. Louis, but if I had to pick another team, I, I like Colorado. I really like Colorado. I think if I'm going to pick a team, it's Colorado, Nashville, St. Louis. It's going to be one of those teams to okay. come out. So we have opinion. a 1A, a 1B, a 1C, and a 1D. Maybe. Okay. Could be Chicago too. Could be Edmonton. <laughs> um, I like all those teams. I think it's honestly, hold on. I pick St. Louis, but nobody knows. I mean, there's so much parity in the league now. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You got to watch closely. All we can do is break it down to a science with the players. You know, which players are having an impact, which players are going. You look at Colorado right now, they have everything going on. They're skating, they're defending, they're competing. Guys are blocking shots. Their power plays clicking. Like when all those things are going, all you're trying to do is keep it going. But for some of the teams that don't have things going, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get it going. So it's just timing right now. That's it. Okay, I'm very excited today. It's my first episode of the PK Subban Ugly Duck podcast. And there's no better way to kick off my podcast than with this man and a very important man in the world of sports, especially when it comes to the NHL. This man became the commissioner in 1993, was named Sports Executive of the Year in 2014 by Sports Business Journal and the Sports Business Daily. Also in 2014, the NHL was named Sports League of the Year under his watch, has been the commissioner for almost three decades, and in that time has grown the NHL revenue from $400 million to $5 billion, which is 10 times the growth. He was responsible for what I call... The Bettman 8. Everybody talks about the original six, but what about the Bettman 8, the eight expansion teams since he entered the league? 
in 2008, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, and the best memory I had with him was at the Olympics in 2014 when playing for Team Canada, we won a gold medal, and I got to take a picture with the commissioner himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to episode one of the P.K. Subban Ugly Duck podcast, Gary Bettman. Gary, what's going on? Uh, why Ugly Duck? Why Ugly Duck? That is a fantastic question. Well, Ugly Duck is the name of my production company, and I'm a huge fan of the, the story, The Ugly Duckling. And I always thought of myself as an ugly duck coming through the NHL. And the story of the ugly duck is we know he starts off ugly, you know, he's, he's irritating everyone, but then he blossoms into something that everybody understands and sees as a beauty. And I'm hoping for that, especially with this podcast, Gary. Sounds perfect. Well, it's <laughs> great to be with you. And I hope in these challenging and crazy times, uh, you and your loved ones are safe and healthy. Well, I'm, I'm wishing you the same, Gary. Now, Gary, before we get into it, because I have a bunch of questions here, um, we're trying to get into the, as much, get as much insight out of the people that come on to our show as we possibly can. Insight that maybe our fans wouldn't traditionally get. And I want to start with where you're from, Gary. You're from Queens. Did you, did you grow up a Rangers fan? And how important was it for you when they won the Stanley Cup. I mean, you took over the NHL commissioner job at 90, in 93. They won in 94. You know, what did it feel like when they won the Stanley Cup? And how did you feel when Marc Messier predicted game seven win against Vancouver? So, so let, let's go back one step at a time. Queens, <laughs> for those of you who aren't from the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, is one of the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, isn't quite as intense or as uh, story uh, skyscraper uh, intense as as Manhattan is, but uh, lots of apartments. It's somewhere between city and suburb. Uh, I grew up there uh, largely in a single parent household, and so my rooting interests in New York City at the time. And you had your choice of multiple teams in every sport. My rooting interest tended to go towards expansion and newer teams because I didn't have the same access to history and tradition and from a family standpoint as maybe some others had. So I like to be on top of things from day one. Uh, the first Stanley Cup presentation I did was Montreal. Uh, and the second one was the Rangers. And, and what I remember most about that Stanley Cup, New York City was was completely excited over the top. But I remember coming back from Vancouver and they could have put it away, the Rangers, in game five and didn't. And then when we go back out to Vancouver for game six, now we come back to New York and, and Madison Square Garden is going nuts. And the Rangers, I believe, were up by a goal towards the end of the game. And as I'm thinking about what I'm going to say when I present the cup, I'm saying, wow, if Vancouver ties this up and wins, can you imagine what this building is going to be like? And so it was in, I was long past the rooting interest. And if, if you go back in time, the first time I ever saw the Stanley Cup in person uh, was, in, was when it was presented uh, to the Islanders in the old Nassau Coliseum. And I think that was their second cup that they won at home. And I remember watching it. I think I was a law student at the time or a young lawyer. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest trophy championship presentation I had ever seen. Because if you remember, most sports presented the trophies in the locker room. It was really only the NHL that did it you know, in terms of a group gathering in front of fans, which obviously since uh, every other sport has begun to imitate. But those are my recollections of, of the Stanley Cup and, and rooting in, or watching in New York. Amazing. And I'm sure that experience in Montreal must have been amazing, too. I mean, seeing the Montreal Canadiens win and being able to present them the Stanley Cup is amazing. You mentioned lost. And, and, and I learned the sentence that afternoon in French which oh. <laughs> I don't speak so that I could at least play, pay appropriate homage uh, to, to, to the people and the fans in Quebec. I spoke a couple sentences in French too, and they always love that. 
Gary, you yeah. talked about being a law student. I know you did your undergrad at Cornell University. You then went on to NYU uh, to get your law degree. Um, but let's get back to 93 and a little bit before that. Um, you worked at the NBA where you worked with the legend himself, one of the most you know, respected people in all of pro sports, uh, David Stern. What did David Stern teach you? D David, you know, and I worked very closely with David and, and his, his passing is, is mm -hmm. a terrible tragedy. He was way too young mm -hmm. and, and a personal loss, obviously. But he taught me how a modern day commissioner, CEO should act. You do your homework so that you know completely everything you're dealing with so you can understand it. Uh, you, you make sure that you communicate well and you're transparent. And uh, as importantly, if more so than any of the others, you make the decisions you make for the right reasons. You don't play games. You don't be political. You do it to the best of your ability, doing what you think is right. Uh, and those are lessons that I've always tried to adhere to. Well, and that was to my next question in terms of how did you get mentored? And there's nobody to be mentored better than, than David Stern, um, as I, as I could imagine, uh, Gary, how do, how were you taught to manage the owners? Because, you know, these are some of the most powerful people in the sports industry and, and some of them in, in the world, that's a tough job. Who, who well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word manage the owners. <laughs> um, I think it's how do you collaborate? Mm. And it, it's in some respects, it, it's not all that different um, in my position than being the CEO of, of a corporation that has a board. Mm. And while, while the, the owners of the franchises um, are very successful, smart, passionate, particularly about hockey, people, um, they also think in terms of the league and the game, which is important. And I, I find that it's always been essential. And it's part of the lessons I learned is that you, you, you are transparent, you do your homework, you make the decisions you need to make, and you don't BS anybody. You tell it to whoever you're talking to straight. Uh, you know, I'm known for being a pretty straight shooter. And sometimes you have to tell people what they don't want to hear, but you got to do it anyway, you know, to, to, to try and tell different people different things. That doesn't work. You just got to do the right things for the right reasons and communicate it effectively. Uh, and that's part of what it's like to collaborate with ownership. Well, when you grow a business from $400 million to $5 billion, I think that's something that everyone likes to hear. Um, well, but it's, 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 it's not just, you know, it wasn't just me. Uh, yeah. It's the organization at the league office. I have an incredible running partner in Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Bill and Daly, we have yeah. great organizations uh, throughout the league at all of the clubs. So on some level, this is the ultimate team effort. I love that. I love that. Gary, I want to take it back for a second. And this is a bit of a wordy question. Um, but... The turn of the 1960s, 70s, there was a lot of social unrest. How was it for you in high school and college with all of this going on? What was your perspective there then compared to now? And how, was, how has your perspective guided your leadership in regards to respecting in today's game, players' opinions, players' positions, but also, you know, with the NHL's decisions being sensitive, you know, to communities, you know, across North America and their opinions, but not just North America, but the, uh, around the world. I mean, the NHL is a global entity. So, you know, can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, by the way, that is an unbelievably great and profound question. When, when I, when I think back to the sixties and seventies, so it would have been, Late 60s, I was in high school, 70s, I was in college and law school. Uh, whether it, it was uh, the issue of racism mm -hmm. or whether it was the Vietnam War uh, or whether it was gatherings like Woodstock and, and long-haired 
quote, hippies. <laughs> um, it was a turbulent time at the time, although unaided by digital platforms and social media, um, it wasn't, I think, as intense in terms of the expression of different views that you get now, and, and now in many respects more anonymously. I also remember uh, Spiro Agnew, who was vice president under Nixon for a while, talking about the silent majority. And, you know, there, there was a lot of divisiveness then. Mm -hmm. And it always sensitized me socially from a social standpoint that you really have to be respectful of all people without regard to their background, mm -hmm. Uh, where they're from, what the color of their skin is, what their religious beliefs are, what their sexual orientation is. Everybody should be respected. And you have to listen to try to understand why people believe what they believe and what the experiences that people have that aren't in common with yours. Because if you don't do that, you never can fully understand and appreciate uh, the things that bring people together ultimately. And so there are a lot of similarities, although I think 50 years later, you know, we, we, we still have a lot of work to do. And I still think that the best days for the NHL haven't come yet. I still think that they're ahead. Um, and I'm very optimistic about that. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy with where our league's at right now. Anybody watching hockey's got to be excited uh, about the league. Gary, the NFL has the Rooney rule, which yes. means you can't hire someone for a coaching job, GM job, uh, until you've interviewed three people, at least three people of color. Do you think that the NHL would ever consider implementing the O'Ree yeah. rule? which could be very similar to that. What, what, what's your take on that, Gary? My, my take on that is it's important for us to be proactive. Mm. And, and you and I have discussed many times, yes. we've done a lot over the last two decades, but we need to do better. What we need more importantly right now than anything else is education. To talk about the things that, we, that I discussed in the answer to the last question, our hockey world at all levels, not just the NHL, but at the, at the other levels of the game needs to have an appreciation of all different people. Hockey has mm -hmm. to be a welcoming and inclusive place because that's how you make yourself more diverse. To simply mandate it for people who may not even have an interest in the game doesn't work in the short term. Long term, that may be the, the appropriate way to proceed. But what we have to do is educate people and make sure that no matter how old you are and where and how you want to play, that hockey can be welcoming to you. And that's something that I'm committed to. Uh, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but the end goal is something we cannot lose sight of. And it's one of the reasons I'm thrilled that one of my senior executives is Kim Davis, yes. who's working on establishing a framework for us, including an executive inclusion council and a fan council and a player council uh, so that we can make sure, A, that we're doing the right things, B, that we have goals and objectives that we can hold ourselves accountable to because we want to move the game forward because diversity is a strength and obviously racism is wrong and we must focus on those two things. That's a great answer, Gary, but it's the truth. You know, the, the late John Lewis had said that people that are, are down for the cause of making this world a better place understand that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I agree with you that um, changes take time and the NHL is, is, has done a great job as far as I'm concerned moving forward. And there is still some work to do. Um, Gary, I want to pivot a second here quickly. Um, cause I want to be very, very sensitive to your time. But, um, in 2004, 2005, there was a work stoppage. It was, you know, as the commissioner, it was the first, you know, work stoppage, I think in professional sports at the time. 
you have been Not quite. The, it was it was it was the first word stoppage that lost an entire season. Correct. Correct. The, the, Thank you. The, the all sports had had lots of work stoppages prior to then, and, and we even had a couple, at least a couple. Correct, Gary. But I wanna I wanna introduce some facts around that because from 2004, let's fast forward now to now, and I've spoken about some of these things already. But you have been the commissioner for almost three full decades. The, the, the league revenue, whether you want to take full responsibility or not, has grown 10 times in that span. I'm calling it the Bettman 8 because I'm a believer in you as a commissioner. But the Bettman 8 uh, happened with eight expansion teams, lucrative TV deals. Now I want to rewind back to 2004. Gary, were you nervous when this happened? And what was this like emotionally for you and your family? Like, this must have been a tough time. Oh, it, it was horrible. And, and it was horrible because a game that we all love, whether it's players or team personnel or fans or people at the league office, including me, not having the game being played was simply terrible. And it put a personal toll on a lot of people who got laid off because we weren't playing. It, it, it was awful. Having said that, we knew that we had profound problems. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the dead puck era. And that was the reason because of the disparities between our teams meant that some teams just couldn't compete. You had teams with some teams with payrolls four and five times the payrolls of other teams. And when those teams got together and played, the team that had the more modest payroll spent the entire game clutching and grabbing and hooking and holding, trying to neutralize the skill that they didn't have. Um, we, we had an independent person, Arthur Levitt, who at one point ran the Securities and Exchange Com Commission, do an independent study and said our economics were on a treadmill to oblivion. And it wasn't working on any level and there was no prospect for growth. And again, most importantly, it made the game not competitive, not entertaining, not attractive. And I had a vision as to what we needed to go forward. Uh, and it took me too long to convince the Players Association to share that vision. But when they did, the game took off. I mean, the strength you see, the competitive you see, the growth you see is a function of the fact that we got the system we needed uh, so that we could be everything that we knew this game could be. And you know what was incredible about that? I mean, lots of sports have had work stoppages, and they talk about other sports about you taking years to come back from the damage. The season we came back right after the full-year work stoppage, we had record revenues, record ratings, and record attendance. And the reason I believe that was is our fans who were – the best in sports, understood what we were doing and understood that we didn't put a Band-Aid on this. We actually addressed the problems head on so that we could move forward. And I don't know that there's any business in any industry that has shut its doors for a year and come back as strong as we have, which is a testament to how everybody came together when it was over, including and especially the players and our fans. Well said, Gary. Well said. Um, Gary, how did it feel to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and the International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame? That must have been it, pretty awesome. Well, I, uh, for the latter one, I wasn't at any ceremony. For the <laughs> Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, were, it, I was literally blown away because I wasn't expecting it. Uh, and to be going in as a builder with Willie O'Ree, was very special to me because of how close we'd been. And and with Bryant McBride's help, we were able to bring him back to the NHL family. Uh, for me though, the, the actual induction weekend and the ceremony was really for my family, for my wife, mm -hmm. my children, their spouses, and my grandchildren. Because in this job and this lifestyle, they all put up with a lot, including the occasional criticism that I take publicly mm. and the occasional booing I may get. And I think for them, I was delighted to see them 
see that recognition because it's been hockey, me, have been so much a part of their lives. Well, and I know Matthew would have been extremely proud of you for sure. Yes, yes um, you know Matthew, my grandson. Well. Yes, he's amazing. Um, Gary, you, you were inducted as a builder. And speaking of building, there's another franchise, the Seattle Kraken. What have been yeah. some of the challenges building an expansion team during a pandemic? Like that's got- uh, Actually, <laughs> believe it or not, other than construction on the amazing building that they're constructing in Seattle for a month or so, they haven't missed a beat. They have, I think, 30,000 season ticket deposits. They have tens of thousands more on the waiting list. Uh, the Amazon has signed up to sponsor the name of the arena, which is the Climate Pledge Arena, because this will be the most environmentally sound arena ever built. Uh, the sponsors have been stepping up. Uh, Seattle, is, as a community, is embracing NHL hockey in unbelievable ways, and they don't even start until 2021, 21-22, um, excuse me, another year, uh, a little more than a year from now. And I think it's fair to say that David Bonderman, principal owner and his partners, and Todd Lewicki, the CEO, have done an incredible job of doing everything right to engage the community. They've built a very strong and diverse organization from scratch. Uh, and I think that hockey in Seattle is going to be sensational. And what's interesting is, so when they announced the name, the Seattle Kraken, uh, in this era of social media, there's always lots of criticism about everything and anything. Overwhelmingly, as among the name, the colors, and the uniform and logo, it was a resoundingly positive response, mm. which shows how much care uh, and time and deliberation they put into getting this right, in large measure because they were listening to the community. Gary, you talked about the, the Seattle, uh, the community of Seattle embracing the hockey team. And I'm a firm believer that pro sports really does unify all of our communities. Everybody loves pro sports. Um, do you think pro hockey and sports in general matter now more than ever? Yeah, yeah I actually, I, I completely agree with you. Sports brings people of all different backgrounds, of all different focuses, of all different orientations, um, of, of all different diversity, sports brings you together and is a unifying factor. And sports can also be a catalyst for healing. Uh, mm. we, we've seen that, for example, in Las Vegas, when the Golden Knights uh, where your where your brother was yes. uh, launched right after the shootings, seven or eight days after the shootings, the team played its first game, and it was all about the first responders and being part of the community. And uh, people in Las Vegas to this day tell me that the beginning of the Golden Knights, and they did an incredible job, Bill Foley and Kerry Bullbolts and George McPhee, of making this team not just competitive in their first year, but an important and essential element to the community. In fact, uh, the Golden Knights have given Las Vegas people who live there an identity beyond the strip, which is what most people associate with Las Vegas. When you, when you go out to, to Lake Las Vegas or Henderson uh, or the other suburbs there, there are Golden Knights sweaters and signs and everywhere. People who never had anything to do with each other sit in restaurants and I hear this anecdotally all the time. They know, know each other, but they all start talking hockey in the golden nights. That's what sports can do. You're 100% correct. And you talked about the golden nights when all the shootings happened, how they rallied around that. But let's talk about the NHL. Uh, in my opinion, the NHL has had one of the best, if not the best response out of all the professional sports leagues in regards to dealing with the pandemic how did that all come about and who did you consult with to ensure safety protocols for the players, trainers, and everybody involved? So the, that's a great question as well. One, uh, 
health and safety was paramount as far as we, I was concerned. And we were consulting with the medical experts, whether it's our internal people that we regularly work with, external consultants, or even the governmental medical people who have been involved both in Canada and the United States. Um, so that was first. Second, this was a complete collaboration with the players and the players association. Uh, we understood that we had to work together if mm -hmm. we were going to have a meaningful response, and that's what we did. So whether it was the return to play format, changing the critical date calendar, coming up with the protocols, or even extending the collective bargaining agreement, this was all a joint collaboration. And all the essential ingredients that we felt would be necessary to come through this as strong as possible uh, as we were living through and getting past the pandemic. Uh, and I think that's what's been the response. When it came to the return to play format, uh, there were players involved in that and we had long discussions and their input was essential. And when, when we were focusing on health and safety, I had a two-pronged concern. Obviously one was COVID-19, mm -hmm. but two, and, and you know this better than I do, most guys had not skated for this yeah. long since they were three years old. And I didn't want to come back and play until the players felt that they were in game ready shape because I don't want anybody getting hurt. Uh, so in those discussions, I would say to the players, I go, listen, tell me how long you want for training camp. Okay. We're not going to tell you what the timetable is. You tell us what you need and we'll work around it. And as you see, as, as we've gone from phase one, which was isolating at home, to phase two, which was uh, starting to work out in club facilities, individually or in small groups, phase three, training camp, and now into the bubble is phase four. It's all progressed because we had a methodical plan that we all agreed on. Well, Gary, as a player who would love to be playing more than anything right now, um, I say I've had the privilege of watching hockey over the past few days and I haven't missed a game. And I'll tell you this, my fingers are crossed because the hockey is unbelievable. It's been fun to watch. So my fingers are crossed that everything holds up, everything holds well, and that the playoffs continue and everybody stays healthy. So Gary, we're approaching our 30 minute mark here. I have a couple rapid fire questions for you, if you don't mind, before you go. Sure. All right, so let's start at the top. What is the biggest misconception about you? I, I think people don't understand that I'm really just a down-to-earth, regular guy whose family is the most important thing in his life uh, and that I love what I do and I don't look to have labor fights. <laughs> well, Gary, I've gotten to know you over the years and I'm very happy that I have. And I hope after this podcast, uh, this episode that fans understand you a little bit more that, that haven't taken the time to Gary, as a commissioner, what keeps you up at night? Everything, okay? <laughs> everything. I mean, you, you, the thing, the number of issues you deal with, I mean, even setting up the hubs, the bubbles, the, you, you can't imagine the checklist of things that had to be accounted for. Um, you, you can't take anything for granted. You have to be agile enough uh, to respond to anything that may happen. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not one who gets a lot of sleep, uh, but what you want is to day in and day out, make sure the game is giving our fans and everybody else associated with the game, the very best that we have to offer. And that's not something you can just tie a bow around and say, okay, I'm done. It's 24 seven. What do you love about the game of hockey compared to all the other major league sports? Well, I don't like to ever compare ourselves to the other sports because you get into, you know, I would never say anything that was the least bit disrespectful to another sport. So what I love about our sport is it's the ultimate team game. Mm -hmm. It requires diligence, hard work, fitness, incredible skill, uh, maybe more skill than any other sport because you got to do what 
everybody other in any other sport has to do and you got to be able to do it on skates and on ice uh i love the fact that hockey people are so passionate about the game i love the intensity of the game i love the emotion of the game and i love the competitiveness of the game and and everybody who plays it gary how did you narrow down to toronto and edmonton as hub cities the uh, there there were I think ten clubs and and their cities that put in proposals to to serve as the hubs, uh, and and they were all great proposals. I made a decision to wait till the very last second to make a decision as to where we were going because I wanted to understand exactly the status of COVID nineteen in all the places that we were considering, and when you look at the data and you look at where it's spiking, it was clear to us that being in Canada would be safest. Uh, and we had lots of issues to work out with the Canadian health authorities at all levels. Uh, but being in Toronto and Edmonton, where we, we thought we could make the best, safest bubble, and that there would be enough testing, because everybody's being tested every day, that wouldn't get in the way of the medical needs of the community. Uh, so as good as all the presentations were, including Toronto and Edmonton, uh, when you look at the Canadian response to COVID-19, it put us where we felt we would be safest. Awesome. Gary, I have one more question for you before you go. This sure. is my closing question. You have grown the league revenue along with Bill, Bill Daly, um, you know, since you've become the commissioner. 10 times you've grown the revenue. Was that your goal heading in? And what do you define as success for yourself and for the NHL? When, when I came to the NHL, I obviously had a passion for the game because I wouldn't have taken this job if mm -hmm. I didn't. Uh, my goal was to make sure that this sport, that this game could be the very best it could be and could grow itself to have a bigger fan base that we would be more present across all media platforms and that we would have the most compelling and entertaining product in sports and entertainment. Those are my goals. I never defined it against anybody else or any other league or business. I defined it against ourselves and I always felt that we could do more, and I'm going back to 1993, than we were doing at the time. And that's my ongoing goal. And that may be one of the things, going back to your other question, that I worry about, because I always want to do more, and I always want to do better. Well, there's no question that you've done a fantastic job. The numbers speak for itself. It's hard to imagine that there are better years ahead for the NHL as a business, mm -hmm. but I can only see it continuing to get better and better and better under yourself and Bill Daly. And that's what we're all hoping for. And Gary, just a side note, if you and Bill are looking for someone to step in when you're ready to step away from the game, Gary, I would love to be someone that you groom to be commissioner of the NHL. So just think of me. Okay, Gary. Absolutely. By the way, <laughs> you're doing great. Uh, I love all the things you're doing, whether it's the trivia show or the podcast. Thank you. Uh, you are a true force of nature. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. And good luck the rest of the way with the NHL. Fingers crossed. You heard it here, folks. Episode one of PK Subban Ugly Duck podcast with the commissioner, Gary Bettman. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, Gary. Thanks for having me. Be safe, be well, and good luck with uh, not just the podcast, with the Ugly Duckling Enterprise. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thanks a lot, Gary. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks to Gary Bettman, NHL Commissioner, for joining the show today. Be sure to check back next week for another episode of the Ugly Duck Podcast with me, P.K. Subban. Follow, like, and subscribe uh, where you can listen to all podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube as well. This is the Subinator. And this is a souvenir out. <laughs>